My name is Annie Lau Slaughter, and I'm part of the Entitled Art Team here. Um, I'm thrilled to introduce the conversation because it's one of our featured panels focused on the fair's 2023 curatorial theme, which is curating in the digital age. And I'm delighted to introduce you to Stephen Sachs, owner and director of Bitforms Gallery, who will be in conversation with exhibiting artist Manfred Moore, a pioneer in the field of generative-based art. Stephen Sachs has founded one of the leading galleries in the world dedicated to new media art. Bitforms has been around for over 20 years since uh, 2001. And so Stephen, I'm happy to pass the mic to you and to further introduce Manfred Moore and his work. Thank you, thank you. So I'll give you a brief introduction to the gallery. We started, um, as she mentioned, in 2001 which was a very different time for media art. And it was a very, I had a very specific agenda with the gallery. And at the time also, it was, it was a bit more challenging to have that type of agenda because there wasn't as much acceptance in the art world for a gallery that was purely devoted to new media. But it was essential for the gallery to also represent that there was a history to this genre. And Manfred, who's sitting next to me, is really, well, one, it's an honor to, to have been working with him um, because he truly, truly is a pioneer in the field of generative art. And I think, I guess you, he, I guess you were in my second show or third show, I can't remember, but... Uh, I think the second show. Yeah. So it was crucial to have someone like Manfred in the gallery, um, not only to, to show that there was a history, but also to influence uh, the younger generation that was uh, experimenting with new media in a variety of ways. And Manfred really was the ideal artist for us because he was constantly experimenting with new media, but not only in, in the moving image form, in its physical form, which is something that we're very interested in at the gallery. So I'm just gonna probably ask a few basic questions just because it's nice to know where, where somebody's from. So basically, um, you tell us a little bit about where you were born and how you started to get into the, the visual arts. Well, <clears throat> I'm born in Germany in uh a town called Pforzheim, and uh, 1938, so <laughs> it's going very far back. He looks great, though. And in my family, everybody sort of played a music instrument, and so since I was a, a little boy, uh, music was always around, and music is the most abstract thing you can think of. So the abstract world was always my background. I, I played over the years many instruments, saxophone and oboe and things like this. But at one point I had to make a decision, what do I want to, what do, I want to do? Do I want to become a musician or do I want to do graphic arts? And the graphic arts was something I was thinking even I'm 80 years old, <laughs> I still can make uh, drawings. 
But when I'm 80 years old, it's very hard to play every night in a nightclub. And, <laughs> and I thought maybe I, I dropped the music slowly. What's what I did. And I painted uh, sort of my idol was Jackson Pollock, the action painting and this kind of things. But the problem is when you have a emotional action painting, you never know what's coming out. And you have to do five times the same thing to get a, a good work of art. And, and that bothered me. I wanted to find a way, how could I know what I want to do before I start? Like in music, I could write down my tunes and stuff and play it. And I know what I want to, what I will do, but in art it was impossible. And for some reason uh, or luck, I came upon a, a professor of philosophy here in Stuttgart, an art art critic, and he wrote books about an art which is rational. And that that already shocked me. What is rational art? Since my art was moving and spritzing the color around and whatever. But it impressed me, rational art, what is that? So it took me a few years to figure out what rational means. First, my sort of freehand paintings became more and more constructed geometrically in the sense that I used a ruler to make a straight line or circles and triangles and I, and I got slowly into a geometry but the geometry was it was constructed but it was in a sense romantically empty so how could I know what I'm doing really and and it went on for a few years and then I met a musician a composer in Paris where I lived he made computer music, and that blew me out. And we became very good friends, and he, he sort of explained me how, how he makes his music, by writing programs, by writing subroutines. What, what, what year was that, Manfred? That was 1967. So I suddenly understood that's how I get the content in my work, by programming. But that, that, <laughs> that wasn't so easy at the time. There was no school, there was, nobody could teach you programming. Neither was the place to have a computer. There was a few universities who had big computer labs, but the access was practically impossible. So what I did, I looked around and I found that there are two books, programming languages, it was a Fortran, one in English and one in French. So I bought, I bought both and, <laughs> and started learning, thinking about programming. And then the problem was there was nowhere a way of getting into a, into a computer room. So in Vincennes, we had some little group. Vincennes was a part of the university in Paris. We sort of got a little computer from uh, from... I don't remember from which company. And we started really programming, but we had no plotter, we couldn't have any output, so that, it was very complicated. So my first programs I wrote there, 
and I had an output numerically in X, Y points, and I had to sit there for hours and hours and draw them by hand. <laughs> and, and at that point, I thought, that, that, that can't be it, that, that's impossible. And luckily, again, I saw on television a program with a meteorology in Paris. They got a, a plotter for the, to draw the, <laughs> the weather maps, you know. And I thought, that's exactly what I need. So I went there one, hour, one Sunday afternoon and knocked on the door and walked in, which is, would be now impossible, but at that time it was still possible. So they, they laughed at me and said, what, an artist, what do you do with a computer? You have to ask the director, you know, we, we cannot help you. you know? So I, I, wrote a, um, I wrote a letter to the, to the ministry, the director was the Ministry of Transport in Paris, so I wrote a letter to the ministry and said, I want to do this research and this and that. Can I use uh, the machine? And two weeks later, <laughs> I got a letter from the Ministry of Transport in France. Yes, come by <laughs> on Monday morning at 9 o'clock, talk to me. And I went there and there was this big man with suspenders, very nice. <laughs> and he laughed at me and said, so what do you want to do? And I brought some drawings with me, what I want to do. And, and then he listened and listened. And then suddenly he got up and put his shoulder, his hand around my shoulder and said, ah, when I was a kid, I wanted to become an artist too. And at that moment I knew, okay, it will work. <laughs> and he granted me access to the biggest computer of the time every night after an hour from six o'clock. So when you, when you say a big computer, you mean like... Well, it was a control... Like as so large as this room? Well, like it's like 10 times the this, this space <laughs> here. It was air conditioned. It was a control data machine, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, I got this access. And I started programming day and night. Every, every night for, for almost 15 years, I went there and wrote programs. And that was very interesting for me because I developed my skills in programming and what I'm doing visually. The problem was whenever I walked out, I must say I had in 1968 my first one man, one person show in Paris of my geometric art before the computer. So I was, people knew me and what I did and everybody liked it. The critics wrote about my technology uh, somewhere. And then when I had my first drawings, I walked around to the same gallery <laughs> and showed it. And they, they turned away and said, what is this? Is... Where, where was that? It was, that, that... It was still in Paris. Oh. I, uh, and I, uh, I felt like I'm showing pornography because they turned away and said, ah, that's nothing. This is shit. It's terrible. But I was so convinced at the time that that's exactly what I want to do. And whatever they say, it's their problem, not mine. If they say it's not art, okay, it's my work. And that was it. So <laughs> that's how I started. And then I, uh, a few months later, I, I, I was always also working for some other artist, building electronic music sounds things. And she knew the director of the Museum of Modern Art in Paris. And she told him, listen, I have this assistant. He does drawings with a computer. 
So he got all excited, he came, I took him to the meteorology and I showed him how it works, how one programs and all this. And he said, let's do a show. May 1971, we have a show. And, and I worked like crazy for another year to have some, <laughs> some drawings. And then the time came, we selected a whole bunch of drawings. We hang them around. And then there was one wall where we couldn't hang anything. So I had this idea, maybe we, we put some white paper on the wall and people can write whatever they think about what I'm doing. And it turned out that this wall became the most important thing of my whole show. It's, it's now in the museum in, in ZKM in Karlsruhe and, the, and they have it. And it's, it's, it's a document of the, like a slice in time. What happened in 1971? How people perceived a computer? It was like a threat. They were angry at me, they were using a computer for a military machine to, to, to make art, it's unheard of. But it's all written on this paper, positive and negative, mostly negative. There, is, there are things on it, you can think of anything you want, it's written there. And there, the funniest thing, there was also an artist in America who did some drawings and, and he signed that paper too. I saw it years later that he passed and looked. I didn't even know at the time that he was there. But the thing is that the, the writing on this stuff shows how aggressive the world was against computers. And during, during that show, I had a plotter installed and I made drawings. And people stand around and looked. The tiny little kids were very fascinated, like always. They looked and ah. And the very old ones, they had nothing to lose. They stand around and laughed. And, but the people in their 30s or, who just started out to be a program, another programmer, a graphic designer, they suddenly saw, wow, I have to learn that too. And they got so aggressive that sometimes they threw a raw axe at me and said, you can't do that, you're destroying art with a machine. And it went on and on and on. And, and still, I, I couldn't care less. I just <laughs> went on and on and did my stuff. And, and then there was this other the, a gallery. So the art world didn't talk about the show. They, they were completely against computers. But there was one gallery in Paris, a tiny little gallery, um, who saw, because he had shown uh, letters up before, you know, the, the, the movement from the 40s and 50s of people write po visual poetry and stuff. So he saw and he invited me for show. And I had my first show with, in a gallery with him. But I was so scared of saying that it's done by computer that I, <laughs> that I didn't even mention the word. You know, I just said drawings, you know. So th these were all plotter drawings at yeah, that time? Yeah, there was plotter drawings, yeah. And then some man looked at me and said, I think you should look into computers. <laughs> that, that, that was incredible that he saw that this is the work for a computer, you know, in a computer. And, and I said, well, I, I would love to give you a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and so 
time went on and on and I, I, I started working and, and like I said, I started out for my music background to write programs, I call them linear programs, in a sense that it's like a music score. And then I saw that every day I could write five programs. It's very easy for me. I have so many ideas what you can do that I thought that can't be it either. It's too easy. <laughs> there has to be something more profound to this. And I thought, look, in music I have an instrument. I can play on it and it always sounds like a piano. I can bang with a hammer on a piano. It sounds like a piano. Why couldn't I invent a graphic instrument on which I can play graphic? Like, and, uh, and suddenly I had the idea, a cube. A cube is a system which is in it, rigid in itself. If I do something wrong to it, you see immediately that's wrong. So the system cube started to be my instrument. And I looked at all sorts of possibilities. If I take it away, the lines away, and later on cut it in, in two and four parts and all sorts of stuff. But I was curious how, when does a cube uh, disappear as a cube? And that's when the, the idea for my film, which I show, came in. that. If I rotate a cube in space and I take lines away one after the other, is there a point where the cube disappears? And, I, and it didn't disappear. Because the, we know too much about three dimensions that even <laughs> if there are two lines turning in space, we still feel the space in, in, in the cube. So I failed in that way, but I created a visual language which was very important for me because from now on all the drawings the next three, four years were based on the cube and I did fantastic stuff. And then there came also another time that I said, okay, now how about if I go uh, one dimension higher, uh, four dimensional cube, which is nothing else than eight cubes put together. And I got an, uh, even larger language and larger repertoire of elements. And, and so on, I slowly developed, developed higher and higher, uh, I would say complexity, not dimensions, but complexities, where I, every time I invented certain rules and algorithms to draw with this, with these systems. So, and up to 100 dimensions, I sometimes <laughs> did things. But at one point, <clears throat> the meteorology said, okay, you can work here as well as long as you want, but we are moving. <laughs> we move from Paris to Toulouse. And I said, no, Toulouse, I don't want to live in Toulouse. <laughs> so what can I do? And it was a very hard, there, there were no personal computers. It was still too early for all that. So we went to America because America, New York was bankrupt. You could buy a house for $5,000. <laughs> so, so we bought a loft for nothing. And, and that was also the time where the first mini, they call it mini computers, were coming on the, the market. Or the desktop PCs, yeah. It was yeah. still a very big box, you know, but, but anyway, it was affordable. When I could buy my own computer, which was, it's laughable to talk about this today because everybody has a computer in the pocket. <laughs> but at that time, it was a real milestone for me to 
have my own computer center. And then we went, <clears throat> I still didn't have then a plotter, but so we went, there, there was this, uh, uh, what is it called, the graphics, uh, uh, what is it called? I, I forgot. Anyway, it was a, a graphic uh, convention. And the there SIGGRAPH, I saw... SIGGRAPH. SIGGRAPH, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> okay, so I went to SIGGRAPH. I think it was in Los Angeles or in... I don't know where. And there was this company who just started building plotters. You know, uh, bottomless plotters, which you could put, even put on the wall and draw on the wall. And, and I contacted them and talked to them and I said, Oh, you're an artist? Oh, we need you. <laughs> you can test our, our chips because our software is not yet up to date. And if you draw and tell us all the, 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 the errors which you have, I will give you a plotter. <laughs> so I had my plotter and I sent every two weeks the, the chip, whatever I found was not right. And that's how I started in New York plotting. And then that was the uh, mid 80s. I wanted to to expand into screen work, you know, and I, yeah. I wrote a, I wrote a, an application to the National Endowment that I'm an artist and I, I I program and I would like to to make images on the screen because the screen at that time was like two hundred thousand dollars I couldn't afford nobody could and and uh, <laughs> and I got this letter back which I still have. Sir, we are we are supporting art, but not technology. <laughs> so that was it. So I couldn't get anything there. So I had to wait and wait. So at that yeah, at that time, the screen resolutions were not capable of of handling the movement of the, of the it cube. It was uh, I don't remember the resolution because I didn't get so far at that time. But but it was very very bad in a sense, you know, not compared to nowadays, you know. But no, uh, my, my point is that you, you needed to wait, patiently wait, until had, the machines no, could had, handle had, what, how you wanted it to be revealed. Well, I had to wait. I had to wait until I can pay for it. <laughs> because well, no, no, it, no, not just pay for it, but the, the, the well, technology. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't buy for $100,000 a screen, you know. So, yeah. But, but once they came down, like, it, it, when it was 10000 then 5000 then suddenly it was 2000 and then, then I could buy it, and I started. That that was then in the year 2000. I could buy my first computer, uh, first uh, screen. But uh, that it was a long journey to get to it. But it, it, it's uh, it's always the, the, the financial backing, which, which, <laughs> which is a problem when you do. Well, like it's that. a combination of financial and and where yeah. technology was at the time. I mean, they didn't even have screens that could could handle that type of work. Well, it, 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 when screens, it, it, it was, the early screens they had was only writing, you couldn't have graphics. Yes, that's what I mean. Graphics came even much later, you know, that, that was, it's not, un, I mean, the times have so changed so fast and so incredibly that they, if you talk like this about things like this, people cannot understand. Like my father told me that they had a, a box, it was a radio, you know, you could, listen to music from far away. And as a kid, I thought, well, that's incredible, no? <laughs> but it, it happens to me too, that you had to, you had to be 
right at the moment when you can afford to have the technology to use it, you know. But, but two, what, 2000, uh, 2000, 2001 is the first time you presented an active generative yes. piece on the screen. So, so in my artistic development, I wrote programs which became more and more complicated and dimensional. And the thing was, I would describe myself at that time as a, a minimal maximalist because the content was so complicated, but the visuals were so simple that people wouldn't believe me that this is problematic, this is complicated, that, that it's five lines, what is that? So I thought how, I, I felt like standing against the wall, how could I communicate a, a complexity which I'm working with to somebody, you know, visually? And I thought, okay, because until that point, I was for 30 years only black and white, mm. because my idea was I can say everything and, and yes and no, because my example was always if I buy a newspaper, if the newspaper is printed in green or red, the information is still the same. So why should I use color? Black and white is enough for me. Even though at, at one point I got to, to a point where I needed more than yes and no. But anyway, at that point I decided, okay, I inject uh, colors into my work. And, and I, I worked on the six-dimensional hypercube when I colored certain places in the hypercube with colors and I rotated the whole structure and suddenly the people could not understand but they could see, aha, there is something which holds the whole thing together. There must be some logic. And, and that was my step out of the dilemma that I, to communicate the, what I want to show, you know, and people saw that this is not just a, random lines this is there's something very intelligent behind and and I, I developed these screens and the first screens I made I showed in his gallery it was the first screens I showed oh <laughs> that is true and I and the next problem was and we that, did the three next to each other yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to build the computers myself because, <laughs> because that didn't exist either that, that I could just use any computer I wanted to build my own artwork the whole thing so I built uh, I, I built little uh, computers and, and uh, on the screens in one box and survival and that's what we that's what we show yeah no no I, I remember it it was amazing and I know we chose to show three next to each other because a lot of people didn't really understand this idea of generative art I mean today of course it's quite popular because of NFTs and places like Artblocks. So generative is more understood today. Back then, I mean, even for 10, 15 years after that, generative was still not an, an understood concept in the art world. Because it was always to show that the same thing can be different solutions. You know, they have three or four screens next to each other running the same program that it's not the same. No. Yeah, so each, each it was piece... was a very new concept. Yeah, each piece had its own unique algorithm, but the series was consistent. So there was... But, but when you had them next to each other, you, the concept became clear. I mean, it sounds like a very simple solution, but it was very powerful to show three similar pieces next to each other. Um, 
And I think people started to get it. I mean, still, it took many years after that for them to get it. Um, but also tell me, because the color, I remember you said the color, it, it wasn't so much about color, it was that the color revealed the space, yes. right? Uh, the, the, I'm, I'm not, I was still not interested in the color per se. The colors, I used random, random colors because I wasn't interested to show a concept of color, but the distinction of what I'm doing, the worse, let's say, the colors are, the more you could see when it, when it turns that it's a structure. So the colors were not interested for me as a, as a you know, color system of a, like a painter has a special color vision. The colors were for me completely random and without importance only to show that there is something happening in a structure. So I had a different approach. Yes, it was about space. It was yeah, defining yeah, the to, space. To, to see that there is a structure which has a logic in it, you know, and this logic I communicate, even though people can't understand, but they see that there is something really in it. Yes, no, that makes sense. And what dimension are we at now? What dimension do you... Well, I, I'm... <laughs> I, I prefer not to call it dimension, I, but because dimension makes everybody crazy. If I say five dimensions, people think it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's confusing, it's, it's, yes. It's, it's the complexity, you know. A dimension is a certain mathematical complexity, and this complexity is my alphabet. And with this complexity, I work, and I, for each, I call it now complexity, not dimension, for each complexity I use, I find specific things I can do with it. And I, I always said that, for example, a six-dimensional cube, that's completely uninteresting to, to show the structure. But, for example, in our language, we have 26 letters, A, B, C, D, but we don't show them all together as a, would be silly. But we choose certain letters and make a word. And with this word, it's a similar what I'm doing. I use certain aspects from the hypercube and use it like, like a word. Or in music too, and we have 12 half tones in an octave. We don't play them all together. We choose different sounds and it makes a melody. So this, that's what I'm doing with the hypercube. I extract certain elements and play with these elements to do something. And that's, that becomes my work. Yeah, and, and, all, and also you've expanded how you present these dimensions in, in different mediums, uh, the new work, the bent steel pieces and laser cut pieces. Um, you went way beyond the screen in defining these, these uh, complexities. Well, I mean, I, I, I made, uh, I showed it on paper. I, I used uh, laser cutting to cut out of steel plates, lines, and made what I call laser clips. So I, I looked in all sorts of di directions what I, how I can present my work. You know, screen is one, printing is another one, laser cut is one. So, so there are many solutions to, to an idea, but Every time you have an idea, you also have to find the right expression for it. Mm. Because sometimes 
it doesn't work. I printed it on canvas and put it big paintings like this. That's one version. No, but sometimes that's not the solution. The solution has to be in metal or whatever. So, so for every complexity, you have to find the right elements to work with. Mm. Now you have you have very um, clear intentions, and your your craft is quite high. A lot of artists who deal with software and media don't have this sensibility to expand into other media, and it's been amazing to see you do that over the years. I mean, it's, it's well, one, it's incredibly just. Uh, just at your age to keep doing this at an innovative level is amazing. My, 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 my programming became my, my language to talk. I, uh, I, I can, you see, when, when you start programming, you go into the details. You look for the content of what you do. And once you do that, you, you sort of, your mind looks at everything else differently. So if I look at a painting or picture, whatever, nowadays, I try to analyze what did this guy do <laughs> or what, how does it function? So it's like uh, the French has a wonderful expression is a deformation professionnelle. They said a professional deformation of your view. <laughs> so I analyze everything when I look, why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because I'm looking on the structure of the logic and, and that, that has changed my whole life. And it, so you started with Fortran and you're still Well, I, 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 I have, a, Fortran is my first language in a sense, and I have so many routines written over the years that I, I, I don't have to throw them out, you know. I can just call them up when I need them. So I use many languages, I have C, I have all mm. sorts of stuff. But there's, it's, it's a mixture of everything because I, I don't throw out anything what I wrote. Why should I rewrite it? And the other thing is that any language, it's like a, if you want a pyramid that on the bottom you have to write a lot of programming to do something. I mean, the higher you get, the less you have to program because somebody else programmed it already for you. And on top of the pyramid, it's a, it's a language where you can even talk to the computer and it understands you. But to me, it, it's, it's, this is not a criteria. If a, a work of mine is programmed in Fortran or in C or in basic or whatever, it doesn't change, it doesn't change the, the visual. Well, of course, but you know, it's still interesting to understand it, the it, process. It, it, and the only thing is that you're forced to use different kinds of languages if you work on a screen, it's different than if you want to plot on a paper. So in this sense, I have to encompass a lot of different kinds of languages, but it, it doesn't change the visuals. It's just yep. a technical part. Yeah. And how are you, uh, are you integrating uh, artificial intelligence, AI in any of your next generation works? I'm not. I'm still on my own intelligence. <laughs> I, okay. I, I'm, uh, I, I look around, I see that, but <clears throat> artificial intelligence is something which uh, is so different from what I know of programming. Because, you see, it, computers are programmed until now in a 
it's a, it's a linear way. You say A plus B equals C, but artificial intelligence, they go in a different world of neuroscience. You see, where like our brain is working, connecting to thousand things. So I'm not familiar with this kind of uh, kind of programming. It's, it's it's a completely different world. So that's something I'm not touching yet. <laughs> that could be a good idea. It's it's um, there's some issues, and I don't think your particular work would benefit from that, and your process wouldn't really make sense for it either. Um, so where? Where are you going next? What's kind of the next body of work you're thinking about? I, uh, you see, an artist never know what he does next. <laughs> I had to ask. I, uh, <laughs> I, I have many ideas. Uh, for example, I, I'm dreaming of a... I just talked the other ah, day yeah, with somebody. Yeah. You have a, a paintbrush and you know, some kind of color, whatever it is, and you draw on the wall and that becomes a screen. Like you, you paint the screen on the wall, and you, you know, you communicate wireless with this, mm. with this paint on the wall. So something like this interests me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had thirty years ago, I had the idea that, for example, you could invent the powder. You throw it in the air, and you throw a laser uh, beam on it. It becomes a sculpture. <laughs> of course, that didn't happen, but something similar happened. Yeah, like the 3D printing is exactly mm. that. You know, so so you have some ideas, but then that something else comes from it. It comes out in a different way. So I'm still dreaming about a lot of things, but uh, we'll see what happens next. I have no idea. <laughs> well, it's been amazing working with you over the years and. I've enjoyed every every show and watching you uh, do your choreography as you're installing. It's it's quite um, special for me to 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 work with you in that way. Well, I, I I appreciate that very much, and I always like to. You see, my work I see it as visual music. Since since I'm not really playing uh, music anymore. My art becomes my visual ex uh, musical expression, and every time we make a show, it's a new opus. You know, it's it's like a it's a new piece of music. Already the layout and everything, so I'm looking forward to the next yeah. show. Well, everyone should definitely check out his booth here. It's incredible. It has a beautiful selection of works from the 1960s to the 1980s. I don't know if anybody has any questions for us. We have one here. Hi, Manfred. We already talked to you a little bit before. Yes. But uh, I find your work very German. Uh, <laughs> very German? Very German. It's fine. How you can, with meticulous, uh, detailed work on uh, this little thing, you can spend whole life working on a little cube, right? Uh, how you can... Uh, Define your uh, cultural background in your work, you know. Uh, I, 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 uh, I cannot uh, answer this. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can answer it only in, in a way that my vision was to invent a logic and this logic becomes visual 
That was the basic of my thinking. If this is German or French, I don't know. But <laughs> I lived in France. And I wrote my programs, so they should be French, not German. <laughs> but but that's I I don't see the the difference. Like people would program in New York the same as in in, in Moscow or somewhere. I don't think it has any relation to a nationality. I don't I don't see that. Maybe Germanic. That I'm yes. I'm maybe more pure in the sense of thinking and that reflects in my programming that's possible but uh, that, that's what that is that's what it is i don't know <laughs> hi you talked about uh everything being either yes or no and then i talked about what? that everything in your work was used black and white because everything was either yes or no yes right and that made me think also of you know in your in programming, it's either a zero or a one. Yes. But then you used color only to illustrate, basically, so you could see the formula in action and you could see what was happening. Is that still the way you look at color, that it only serves for you so we can see the formula and see what's happening? Yes. In, 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 in my version of my life, of my art, the color is just an element. <laughs> I, I, I don't care damn about color. <laughs> I'm still in my thinking black and white, but I know I can't say it in black and white. But they do look good, which is important. <laughs> Even though you don't care about it, they look good. Well, I care. Well, I'm no. saying it's not an essential, <laughs> the color isn't what's essential, but they, they still aesthetically. I, I, I pay, yeah. For example, I pay attention that the color is in a sense restricted. I, I, I wouldn't allow a neon bright light uh, color or something you're controlling so, the palette. So I control the palette, but not which one out of it I choose. So in the sense, I'm, I dominate the thing. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> All right, thank you very much.